He's worthy of our praise. Aren't you glad that his grace abounds toward us and that his mercy endures forever to all generations and that Jesus is enough. Thank you, worship team. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll read my text here in just a little bit. I want to touch on something tonight for a few moments that we all deal with. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. I don't care where you are at in life. At some point or another, we have all been attacked in our minds. Anyone ever felt overworked? I'm not necessarily talking about your job, uh, but just life in general. You felt discouraged by life's circumstances? Have you ever felt miserable? Have you ever felt that your soul was just flat out destroyed? Forsaken? Yeah. Have you, for, have you felt forgotten by friends and family? Maybe even your church and your church family. What if I was to ask you, have you ever felt crushed? put down, smothered, subdued, or even tormented. These are all battles that occur in our mind. No one is immune from it. No one. Rest assured, if you can relate to any one of those statements, you're not alone. It's not uncommon for Christians to struggle with oppression. It's something that we as humans, we have to deal with it though. I know what it's like to be standing with a smile on my face, but hurting deep down inside. You give and you give and you give some more, yet you're just broken on the inside. Remember, you're not alone. There is someone, though, walking with you. That person said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You have someone to carry that load with you. Don't believe that devil of oppression. For I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. This mindset of oppression can put you in a dark place. It'll make you feel isolated even though you are surrounded by people. That darkness will bring up your past. That darkness will bring up your failures. That darkness will bring up your mistakes. 
That darkness will bring up your shortcomings. What you need to do is lay it at the foot of the cross. The answer is found in the cross. Lay it at Jesus' feet. Jesus will meet you there. These are just a few of the many tactics that Satan uses to try to gain control of your mind. Spiritual oppression is just what it is. It's an attack of the mind. There's roughly 8 billion people in the world today. And everyone, everyone, at some point in their life, whether a believer or an unbeliever, has had a battle that was waged in their mind. We as Christians are not immune to the difficulty. Jesus said in this life, you will have tribulation. But he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus is the answer for your oppression. Jesus is the answer for your difficulties. Jesus is the answer for your heartaches. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Spiritual oppression is the result of a feeling of the feeling of being crushed, put down, smothered, subdued, or even tormented. There's always something that wants to creep into your mind and whisper thoughts of anxiety and fear and worry. The biggest battle you will ever fight is the battle that's waged in your mind. And it's the devil that starts it. Rest assured, it is the enemy. Whether it's directly or indirectly, he is the one that starts the battle. He'll use someone or something to start to fight. A coworker will say something that will trigger you. A family member will say something that will trigger you. That driver that cuts you off before you know it, you wave, you've waved at him with that one finger. We all know about it. Or you'll say something that you regret, and now he's got you. And you have to repent and say you're sorry. Or pay dearly for the reaction that should have just been curbed to begin with. The devil begins his attack by repeatedly attacking someone's mind. His intention is to continuously poke at your mind until he finally breaks through. He's relentless at it. When the devil breaks through, he begins to take your mind hostage. He then begins to dictate how you should feel, how you should think, how you should believe. He will tell his victims what they can or cannot do. Then he subdues them. The object is to vengefully oppress a person as he gains access to control your mind. He tries to dictate how you feel and what you are to believe about your future. He begins to question your identity. You then start to question who you are. You start to question what you are. You start to question your abilities. He causes you to question your identity in Christ. You begin to question if you really are a child of God. You begin to question your calling placed on your life by God. You begin to question the talents 
in the gifts that God has bestowed on your life. He gets a foothold into your mind, emotions, and imagination. The devil will try to dominate and control your life. If he's successful at the previously mentioned, then he's right on track to cause you to give up on faith and ultimately walk away from God, which is exactly where Satan wants you. That's his goal. He wants you to ultimately give up on, on God. But Paul comes along and tells us we have been given weapons to overcome oppression and strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought of the obedience of Christ. This means if the enemy tries to build a stronghold in your mind, we have the ability to pull them down. Oppression is no respecters of person. It will afflict whoever it desires, even great men in the Bible. One particular, Elijah. Let's take a look at Elijah. I'm going to try to give you a, a condensed version of his life here in just a few moments. 1 Kings chapter 17 is where he comes on the scene. Elijah is a Tishbite. He's a human being just like us, and he's a man of God. He was from the inhabitants of Gilead. Elijah was probably the loneliest and the grandest man in the Old Testament. He's considered one of the greatest prophets, greatest of the prophets. He shows up on the scene by the Holy Spirit and without fanfare. He didn't even have an introduction. He just all of a sudden appears. After he came on the scene, he didn't show up very often, but when he did, he had short and powerful sermons. And then he leaves us in a whirlwind. He's even, he's even in the comparison with John the Baptist when Jesus is asking the disciples who he was in Mark chapter 8. Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? They answered, Jesus, they answered Jesus by saying, some say Elias and others John the Baptist. Probably the greatest thing about Elijah is when he was seen talking with Jesus and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. He, Elijah left a lasting impact on the world. He came to make an impact, and believe you me, he did. But later in this story, Elijah was found fighting a battle in his mind. First rattle out of the box, he confronts old King Ahab. He tells him that it's not going to rain until he says it will, and it didn't. It was, it was a three-and-a-half-year drought. The drought was a rebuke of Israel's rejection of God's word. Then the word, came, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and told him to go eastward to the brook Cherith before Jordan and hide himself there. The word Cherith means separation. 
Even though Elijah was in Israel, the Lord had intended him for him to be separated from its wickedness. It's like for us believers as well. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. When Elijah was at the brook Cherith, God commanded the ravens to come and feed him there. It's amazing how God will use something marked unclean to provide for his children. God was watching him the whole time. God has total control over everything. When we tap into his resources, there is an unlimited supply. The brook then finally dries up because of the drought and the the Lord tells him to go to Zarephath. He finds a widow woman who the Lord already tipped off that he'd be coming by to sustain him. When he gets there, he finds the widow woman. She's gathering sticks. Elijah tells her, bring me, bring me some water. And while you're at it, bring me some bread. She proceeds to tell him, I, I don't have any cake. I, I don't, all that, I, all that I have is a handful of meal in a barrel. And a little cruise of oil. And she was gathering two sticks so she could feed her son, her, herself and her son. And then so that they may eat and, and then die. Elijah says, okay, go ahead, but make, bake me a cake first. And then you can make one for yourself and your son. And then he tells her, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the, mil, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She went and did what he said. I can hear her now saying, who does this guy think he is? Coming in here making all these demands. I'm hungry. My son's hungry. And he has the gall to come tell me to make him something to eat before I, feed my, before I even feed my son. Nevertheless, she did exactly what he asked. And the miracle took place because she was obedient to Elijah's needs. Scripture said the barrel of mill wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail for the remainder of the drought. Even after all this, the woman's son became sick and died. But because of the mill barrel, the mother had enough faith in Elijah. He takes the child and stretches his body over the child three times. He prays a short prayer. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. And the Lord heard Elijah, and his soul came back into him. And Elijah took his mother, and his mother said, By this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth. Elijah came to make an impact. He made an impact on that woman from Zarephath. Elijah was just a man of God on a mission from the throne. Many days have passed. Another part of the story, Elijah now goes, goes back to King Ahab. Ahab asked Elijah if he's the one being, that's been troubling Israel. 
Elijah made a very bold and gutsy statement by telling him, I haven't come to trouble Israel. I've come to trouble you and your father's household. He didn't mince words. He didn't mince words at all. He said, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord God of Israel and followed Balaam. It was now Ahab that was causing all the problems, not Elijah. He proceeds to tell Ahab, go get your 450 prophets, get Jezebel's 400 prophets, meet me at Mount Carmel. When they all got there, Elijah asks them an all-important question. He said in 1 Kings 18, 21, how long halt you between two opinions? That's a question to ask the nation. That's a question to ask mankind. That's a question to ask the church. They were making themselves lame with their inability to make a decision. He said, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him not a word. He told them that he was just one of one man and there was 450 prophets of Baal. He told them to bring two bulls, cut, your, cut yours up, lay it on the wood. I'll cut mine up and lay it on the wood, but don't put any fire under it. Verse 24 says, and you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. God is always going to answer by fire. Leviticus 9.24 says, Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. First Chronicles 21.26 says, Then David built an altar before the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire. Second Chronicles 7.1 says, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. God answers by fire. God always answers with fire. Elijah knew, Elijah already knew what was going to take place. Elijah already knew that God was going to answer. When you walk that close to God, you will know how he will answer. Elijah knew that God was getting ready to make a show of them. He knew what God was capable of doing. It was not a question if he could. This was the guy that had God on speed dial. He knew. He knew what was about to take place. Let me tell you something. When you walk that close to God, you have nothing to fear. When you walk that close to God, kings and presidents fear you. When you walk that close to God, you can charge hell with a water pistol. When you walk that close to God, you will say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The prophets of Baal took their sacrifices sacrifice. They dressed it. They called on the name of Baal. Their prayer was, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. There was no answer. They then jumped on the altar that was made for their sacrifice. They made their appeal to their God from morning till noon. They couldn't seem to get their God's attention. Noon comes. Elijah's sitting over watching the goings on. I can see him shaking his head at them over there. 
he starts to taunt them. He said, you need to cry louder. He's a God. Maybe he's talking to someone else. Or he's pursuing, maybe he's on a journey. Or he's taking some time off. Or maybe he's asleep. And you need to waken him, cry louder. You need to cry louder than ever before. They even took knives and started to cut themselves. They were becoming desperate at this point. And it came to pass when mid, verse 29 says, and it came to pass when midday was past and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. In other words, their petitions went unanswered. Then Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. First Kings 18, 30 through 46 says, and Elijah said unto all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Notice it says he had to repair the altar. Israel felt that they no longer needed the altar. Woe to any church that feels like it doesn't need the altar anymore. The church of today desperately needs to repair the altar. Verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, fill four barrels of water and pour it on the, on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. He said, do it again a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran about the altar, and he filled the trenches also with water. In thir verse 36, Elijah prays a 63-word prayer. And it came to pass in the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came there and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that thou art Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said to them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And he took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Carmel and cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look there toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile, 
that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I told you this great and powerful story of Elijah so I could tell you about the next part. This is to prove to you that no matter how close your walk is with the Lord, no one isn't immune from attack from the devil. Everyone, under the sound of my voice, everyone watching my live stream, everyone is susceptible to a sneak attack of the devil. And it's almost always after a great victory in the Lord. And this is where I want to take my text. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 3. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me. And more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by, by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Elijah took care of all the prophets of Baal. And after this, Ahab goes back to his wife, Jezebel, and tells her that Elijah slew all the prophets with a sword. Jezebel, she obviously wore the pants in the family. She becomes furious with Elijah, and she sends a messenger to Elijah and says, About this time tomorrow, your life will be made as one of the ones you killed by the sword. Jezebel claimed that she would have killed Elijah. And when Elijah heard this, he got up and ran for his life. He became scared to death. In the matter of a second, this mighty prophet of God, the one who called down fire from heaven, is now turned into a wimp of a man. And he's now scared of the threat of one woman. After all that he had done in the country, he just, he just overcame 450 prophets. Remember this, Satan's threats will come in every direction and when we are least expecting it and all too often we believe his lies we believe his lies instead of the truth of God's word it should have been obvious to Elijah that if Jezebel was so sure of her position why does she didn't just send soldiers to kill him instead of sending a messenger just to mess with his mind I believe that she feared for her life and her soldiers' lives. I believe that she knew that if she, felt that if she or her soldiers got close to them, he would kill them. Almost always after a great victory in the Lord, Satan's going to attack. And usually it's with great success. The fear that came upon Elijah was unfounded. The fear and the pressure that it comes upon every other child of God is unfounded as well. The mighty prophet of God is now operating from a position of fear. Oppression had taken hold of Elijah's mind. 
Faith always leads us toward the will of God. Fear will lead you away from the will of God. Faith will draw you closer to the Lord. Fear will seek to isolate you from the Lord. Faith will keep you connected to the vine. Fear will separate you from the vine. Fear is a liar to the child of God. This is just another attack of the devil. Satan will tell you that you're going to die. Satan will tell you that you're going bankrupt. Satan will tell you that the creditors are coming after you. Satan will tell you that your children aren't going to make it and that he has them in his grip. I've come to serve notice on you, devil. It is written. These three words, it is written. Psalms 118.17 says, I shall not die, but shall live and declare the works of the Lord. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that's formed against thee shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Those are just lies of the enemy. Those are all things that he's planted in your mind. They're just lies, distractions. Remember this, the devil was defeated. He was defeated on Calvary 2,000 years ago. You don't have to take that from the devil. You don't have to stay there. He will bring you out. Elijah was experiencing the spirit of oppression. And it all, it all seemed real to him. Jezebel's threats, and that's all that they were, were just threats. They were real to him at the moment. Elijah's circumstances pointed to a very real and present threat on his life. And consequently, we as children of God think that as well. Every single child of God will, f- will face this at one point or another in their lives. Remember what oppression is? It's the exercise of authority and a power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. Oppression is carried out by demon spirits. It brings on acute fear. It affects our nerves. It affects our emotions. And at times, physical problems will manifest with the attacks of the, of the oppression. You'll feel like you're carrying around a thousand pounds. Despair and hopelessness, along with what seems to be helplessness, will grip you. There seems to be no answer. There seems to be no solution. Elijah goes away to the wilderness and he finds himself under a juniper tree. The Lord told him, he told the Lord that it's too much now and that he wants to die. Anyone ever thought it'd be easier to just die rather than to press on? We've all been there. This is where Elijah is at because of an empty threat and a empty and perceived threat. He's been reduced to a whining mess that can't seem to pull himself up by the bootstraps. It's so easy to be moved by what we see and what we hear. We should not be moved by these things. If we function according to what other people say, what we can see, or according to the circumstance, we will take the wrong path, and it will not come out right. But the Word of God is the deciding factor in how we walk through life. Ask, your quest, ask yourself a question. What does, the, what does the Word say about your situation? The Word says, yea, in all things, we are more than conquerors. The word says, if God be for us, 
who can be against us? The word says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. The word says, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The word says, when the enemy comes in like the flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The word says, the Lord is my strength and my song has become my salvation. This, the word says, strengthen ye weak hands and confirm ye the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. The word says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise of pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord which is thy refuge, even the most high of thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life, with long life, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Glory to God. That's a promise you can bank on. The Lord says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The, Lord's, the Lord says, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by the name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. The Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. There is no victory outside of the word. There's no overcoming life's troubles outside of the word. There's no leading and guidance outside of the word. All that you will ever need is right here in the Word of God. Look, it's in here, right in the Word of God. Amen. Elijah said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take, take away my life. Elijah was in total despair. This is how the enemy attacks. Jezebel's threat was just a perceived thought, a perceived threat. And it's just something that could arise. It's not saying that it will arise. It could arise. It was a direct attack from the devil against Elijah. It was the spirit of oppression. 
Living for the Lord is the greatest life there is. Living for the Lord is the most wonderful life it is. And yet we are not immune from attack from the enemy. Some Christians will spend their entire life struggling with oppression. Like Elijah was dealing in, on, in 1 Kings 19, 4 through 7. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and, and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. And he lay and he slept under the juniper tree. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because your journey is great. Despite the state that Elijah was in, despite his faithlessness, Despite him going in the wrong direction into the wilderness, despite his failure to trust in the Lord, still the angel of the Lord was with, was with Elijah every step of the way. Instead of the Lord taking Elijah's life, he sent an angel down to follow him and to make him some angel food cake and bring him a big glass of water. And then Elijah rested. And then the angel made him eat again because the journey was going to be long. It was going to be long to Horeb, to the Mount of God. Even though Elijah had lost his faith in God, and that's what he did. He lost his faith in God for a moment. The Lord was not through with him yet. God made a, made a provision for Elijah in his faithless state of mind. The Lord was still watching over the prophet. Thank God he doesn't leave us when we go astray. And he watches over each and every one of us. Would you stand and bow your heads? Brandon, would you play I'm free from the fear of tomorrow? I'm going to ask you to make a, conf make a confession. I want you to be honest with yourself. No looking around. Would there be anyone here that would be bold enough to raise your hand and say, I'm one of the ones that's fighting a battle in the mind right now. I'm fighting for my sanity. The waves of oppression are rolling over me. I just can't seem to keep my head above the water. The enemy keeps telling me that I'm not going to make it. You may have found the light at the end of the tunnel only to realize that it's just an oncoming train. Let me tell you, you don't have to take that from the devil. 
you don't have to put up with that. Greater is he that's within me than he that is in the world. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind.